0: That I appreciate about Obama? Um, I always thought the JCPOA was pretty great, the, the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, I was a huge fan of that. But now that I think about it, he invented these sanctions. Like, he's the guy we would never would have had as sweeping sanctions against Iran if you didn't have Obama's charisma behind it.
1: To understand geopolitics, you must have the freedom to be honest. The More Freedom Foundation podcast Hello, Rob. How have you been this week?
0: Uh, I don't know. I'm a little irritated this morning, Rory, I, I gotta say. Why? What's happened? Uh, hopefully this is will, will have all blown over by the time this is broadcast, but uh, Washington, D.C. is all aflutter and, and angry that uh, Joe Biden has given billions of dollars to Iran. And it, it's just, it's so frustrating because that is not what's happening here. Uh, We've allowed uh, Iran to use some of its own money for some of its, for some very clearly defined purposes. And just the, the, the idiocy with how this is described in frankly, most, uh, mainstream media is, uh,
1: really frustrating to me. But the more you sanction a country, the more likely the, the leaders are to fall apart. And it would, uh... Democracy will flourish.
0: Yes, that's happened, as as we know from the flourishing <laughs> democracies in North Korea, Syria, Venezuela, and uh, and Iraq. Iraq, we we didn't have to invade or anything. It was just it was sanctions, just magically in the nineteen nineties. You kill kill half a million kids, and boom, democracy. That's how that works. It's not the first time that uh, we've gone through this, uh, and I'd say that probably the most famous victim of this massive just warmongering bias that we find in all U.S. media is probably Barack Obama. Why, what's Obama done? He was very charismatic. What could he do wrong? (laughs) That may be the way he was viewed in Europe, Rory, but that is not, in fact, the experience he had in the United States with the U.S. media.
1: Did they not build a a gas station um, fast food restaurant in his name? Did he? Uh, there's a place in the Republic of Ireland called Barack Obama Plaza. Really? Interesting. Which, uh, it seems both tacky and intriguing. Apparently, it's actually
0: very good. That is a very strange thing. And I, I, I assume <laughs> that Obama is not pursuing legal remedies just because he it'd be may too embarrassing. He visited
1: it. Because do you remember what he, he has uh, some Irish lineage. So he popped over
0: and he may have went to it. Interesting. Interesting. So I'm in the weird, I want to talk about Obama today, uh, Barack Obama, and uh, I think I'm in kind of an interesting position to talk about him because of my own political journey, I've sort of been in the position of critiquing him from the right. And now I, as much as I shudder to say it, I'm kind of certainly listening sympathetically to a lot of critiques of Obama from the left. And I think that's uh, kind of fascinating. And I think I've come around to a position where I think everybody probably gives Barack Obama too hard a time. But I think it's interesting. It will be interesting for an hour to sort of walk through the history of the Obama administration to a limited extent and talk about these different narratives about Barack Obama and how he's um, may have failed or may have succeeded or... Or or what have you? My main idea, I think, uh, probably will end up being the title of the episode, is that Barack Obama was the right man at the wrong time. Uh, I think that the country was not ready for the way that I believe we really are now. We're ready for a um, you know a messianic might overstate it, but a uh, a, a transformative, vigorous, uh, a young. President, I think in 2023, we couldn't, I don't think anybody, well, I think I'm sure some, uh, but I don't think anybody outside of the uh, Trump or Biden campaigns would disagree that we could desperately use uh, some young, vigorous uh, leadership. Um, and we just don't have it. And I think we got that young, vigorous, charismatic uh, leadership in 2008. Uh, and we got it when we just weren't ready for it. We just didn't, we were not prepared we were not, uh, as a country, it just it just wasn't a possibility. Should uh, America have had Biden at that time and then got Obama now? Well, that's a very, uh, that's a fascinating counterfactual. Uh, the, I know Hillary Clinton, honestly, Hillary Clinton, who was the Democratic frontrunner at that point, was probably well-suited to uh, 2008. Uh, she would have been a colossal failure as Obama was in some serious respects, but experiencing that failure might have laid the groundwork for a transformative Obama presidency. Who knows?
1: And you also have to realize that with Obama, you get Trump, because it seems that Obama kind of antagonized him so much that he ran for president.
0: I think there's certainly some real truth to that. The White House Correspondents' Dinner where, like, um, Obama... To be clear... Trump was calling him not an American and calling him yes. a liar and impugning, you know, where the he was whole born.
1: birther movement? Wasn't he a, a early um, instigator of that conspiracy theory? Yes,
0: I think birtherism is definitely separate from Trump. But that was Trump's entree into uh, a national have politics. Have they not changed the rules? So that's not even relevant. No, the the rules have been the rules, but they of course they only. So you mattered. still have to be born in America. Well, that's an open question is the the strange thing. McCain, of course, was born in Panama, um, Mm -hmm. though it was on a U.S. military base. Uh, Ted Cruz, born in Canada. uh, I think these are rules that are seen to mostly apply to black people who happen to be running for president, uh, to people of color who happen to be running for president. Not to say that it wouldn't have been a bigger issue uh, if Ted Cruz had gotten the Republican nomination, but it's... uh, yeah, you're, you're not going to hear any defenses of birtherism from me. It's a fundamentally disgusting racist movement. And that's that was Donald Trump's big political uh, uh, push. So but but to your point, absolutely. Obama, I think, quite rationally uh, in embarrassed, humiliated Trump at a White House correspondence dinner. And that is seen by some as launching Trump's presidential campaign. But honestly, Trump was talking about being president since the 1980s. And he was, but it's
1: seen as one of those things, like I don't know, some random snake oil salesman will say, "Oh, I'm running for president," and then it goes nowhere. Like it seems to be a thing a lot of people throw out. Uh,
0: he had talked about being on the reform the Reform Party candidate for president twenty years ago, fairly seriously. And let's remember that the whole reason he was doing this Bertha thing was to inject himself into U.S. politics. Uh, so yeah, I mean, absolutely, I I, th- I think that. Uh, there's truth to that story that you know. Gosh, if Obama hadn't humiliated him so badly at that dinner, then maybe he wouldn't have run for president, or or maybe when Trump became president, he wouldn't be so all on fire to destroy uh, Obama's legacy. I think those are interesting questions, but I do think it's a little oversold. So why don't we start out by just going through the the, the right wing critiques of Obama uh, about about. Forty percent, I believed um, at the time, and then we can, and I think we can dispatch those pretty, pretty quickly. Um, well, th- any of this cover
1: uh, Harvey Lewis Gates Jr.
0: Um, situation? Oh gosh, no! I the 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 beer drank around the world, or no? What do they call it? The the, yes. the beer summit.
1: So he was a professor at Harvard University. He was denied entry of his own home, mm-hmm. and the implication was because he was black. They just assumed, why would he live in this rich, um, fancy area? And the police officer that arrested him, uh, basically, they all had drinks at Obama's and said, um, hopefully, this will be the end of it.
0: Yeah, that was, I I think, something that can be said about Obama, and this is another thing that we've kind of missed, uh, that we're missing right now, is that he was, and something that infuriated me, frankly. So I was we more right-leaning when that was happening, but I was libertarian. And my libertarianism, unlike many people's libertarianism, was very focused on the injustice of criminal justice in the United States, the horrific mass incarceration.
1: The mandatory minimum sentences?
0: Yes, leaning way more towards African-Americans. So I was always really angry at Obama. Not fr- I mean, uh, I was more right-leaning, but I was angry at Obama because he didn't do enough. On criminal justice. And that beer summit was uh, an, uh, just another example of him sort of uh, uh, catering to white audiences instead of actually dealing with some of the problems. But actually, now you look at it and you look at how divided we are right now and you realize that um, Obama was pretty gosh darn good at catering to white audiences. The uh, I think people well, that really- also
1: turned off. You know, you're saying he's catering to white audiences, but it seemed like it turned off a lot of white people, saying that he was pandering to black
0: people too much. That's an illusion, like, and that's and <laughs> and, and, and that comes into the category of uh, right wing critiques of Obama that I never believed and always thought were horseshit. Basically, anything that Sean Hannity says about Obama is worth ignoring. Um, the you know, from the tan suit to oh, he failed to salute appropriately to j- just utter. I mean, the, the the things that you try to stick to him. Solyndra is something that tends to stick to him. It was a a program that funded a bunch of green companies, and one of them that may or may not have had too close relationships with Democratic Party politicians went bankrupt uh, spectacularly. That same program is also the reason why we have Tesla and electric cars. Uh, Yeah,
1: he gave Tesla, what,
0: 400 million? I don't recall the exact details. But uh, so, yeah, so I don't think there are. I think Obama, perhaps, not perhaps, because of his, uh, identity, because of the fraughtness of being this incredible target as the first African-American president. And at every point of his political career, he had to be cleaner, more careful. I mean, there's just, there's very little that sticks to that guy. I think his post-presidency is a little gross, frankly, like, uh, but he earned it, you know, he, he, he just goes around and, and gets Netflix deals and, and big handouts. But not everyone can be Jimmy Carter. It's true. Not everybody can be Jimmy Carter. So I'll, the personal complaints about Obama were always nonsense. The idea that, uh, and then we'll get to this as we get to the left wing critiques, like the idea that he was inadequately deferential to the thoughts and ideas of white people or was some kind of like black nationalist or is utter fantasy land. He didn't do anything about the nightmarish criminal. Rand Paul was better on criminal justice for African-Americans around those issues than Barack Obama was for the vast majority of his uh, time in in power. After his last midterm, he did start doing a few very, very minor things. I think uh, tweaking some sentencing guidelines, uh, trying to, with uh, Eric Holder at the DOG, trying to rein in Civil asset forfeiture, which is a really it's basically cops stealing your stuff, uh, which is just fundamentally evil practice. So he didn't very he did nothing on criminal justice. He governed as and now I think I'm already falling into the, the more left critique of Obama. Um, and he was not a progressive like by any stretch of the imagination. Like he did. We'll get into Obamacare later. But like he was fairly boilerplate Democrat. Then he's a Reaganite. Um, much like the Clintonese. Uh boilerplate Democrat as uh, through a boilerplate set by the Clinton family. Um he was less spectacularly corrupt, but he was very much of the Ronald Reagan era. Incredibly pro-business, uh incredibly pro-markets. Uh Obamacare, his big domestic thing, was something that Mitt Romney had done in Massachusetts and was cooked up by the Heritage Foundation. A right-wing think tank. It is like giving more money to insurance companies is the main uh, function of Obamacare. Uh, but anyway, let's let's talk about the right-wing critique that that the stuff that was absolutely always ludicrous, and then the first stuff that I believed in throughout his presidency, and I now believe I was wrong about. So yeah, the the, the racist stuff, the the complaining that he like uh, this this like saintly saintly non-corrupt guy like just was constantly being talked about on Fox News as if he were uh some sort of hoodlum or or monster or something it was just and at the time I could look at that and that was just uh obvious transparent racist nonsense um beyond that there was also this there was just this image and it was it was interesting because I have I have uh you know older family members who engaged in this uh, people I respect in you know my communities, people who like sort of ran businesses and this that, and thing, and they wouldn't they wouldn't say anything sort of classically racist, but they'd just be like, you know, the Obama uh, administration and their regulatory approach, like I just it's just he hates business, he hates business, and it's just like no he King doesn't. <laughs> it, it's it's extraordinary how the Nazi had to tie himself into both to cater to white people, to cater to business people, to cater to that. And he did it. He pulled it off. Uh, he won two elections, like the popular vote, um, which is a rare accomplishment uh, for presidents in in the 21st century. Um, and there's plenty of, uh, I think the, the Clinton campaign wants to claim racism, but there are plenty of Obama, uh, you know, Obama, Obama, Trump voters out there. Um, and uh, that, that's a hard pitch to make. Um, so no, I, I think to some degree he was successful. And I think one of the, the more left-wing critiques is that people, uh, are really angry about things like that beer summit with Henry Louis Gates. So, or like, and are very angry. And I am not angry, but disappointed by just how incredibly business friendly the Obama administration was. Um, though that's what the people wanted. Um, but, uh, his ability to actually appeal to a broader mass of Americans is something that's forgotten this is why Fox News was in such a god-awful panic all the time during the Obama administration trying to come up gin up with any kind of uh, controversy there was just no no weight there like this is an african-american guy who did have to struggle against the racism of voters who won the majority of the American people twice this guy what and- remember one of
1: the most savage was the Dijon mustard oh he was using Dijon mustard was he yes that's a foreign mustard and you can't use that not good american mustard oh my
0: god yeah anyway it was laughable it was laughable so looking back on and he worked at it he worked at it really really hard and he did stuff that i think um uh african-american activists find still find troubling in terms of like uh the dull (laughs) it's funny before bill cosby was famous as a uh uh a sexual abuser he was famous as a Black men have to pull up their bootstraps and work harder and and marry their their baby. Mother. Like he was like, and Obama would engage in that sometimes, uh, more to to cater to uh, white audiences. But he was a very very good politician, and it would be really nice if he were actually in the White House right now instead of uh, uh, being on podcasts with Bruce Springsteen and putting together Netflix specials that nobody watches.
1: Yes. He does seem like the opposite of Biden in a lot of way, in the sense that he didn't have as much, you know, experience in politics. And he's an incredible orator, which I think Biden, even in his heyday, was like a five out of ten.
0: Well, that's why that's why Biden was bit. He wanted a, a savvy political operator. And people forget that Joe Biden and Barack Obama's relationship as vice presidents, as president and vice president are like historically good. Uh, And actually, Bush and Cheney's uh, relationship for president and vice president were historically good. The sort of Biden-Harris, like, I'm going to give you the worst job imaginable and watch you fail at it. Uh, That's actually very typical. That's how presidents and vice presidents usually work. Um, So, yeah, they complemented each other well. Uh, Biden, of course, was chosen as his running mate for those reasons, but also because he had a famous racist gaffe against Obama in the 2008 uh, primaries. I believe he called Obama well-spoken or articulate, which is a big, maybe that doesn't translate as much beyond the United States, but that's a huge red flag. What, like the, you know, what are you saying? Jesse Jackson wasn't, you know, and and it like, so that was like, he was selected to be the old kind of racist white guy on Obama's team. Like that's why he's president now, which is uh, something that's, that's largely forgotten. Um, But sorry, to finish like the right-wing thing, the other critique that I believed fervently until the 2016 election um, and I'm still like going through how I feel about it now, but I think that uh, my recent this won't be a surprise to people who have followed my recent work on uh, this podcast and on the YouTube channel. I think we've talked about uh, how the, the the secret to a good economy and whatever the next phase of world development is is giving money to normal people. Is 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 not being deficits are a thing. Deficits matter, but not being so concerned over that that we starve economies uh, the way that we did. But isn't
1: the American deficit quite easy to fix? The way it's talked about, you'd think it was like a meteorite heading towards earth, but I've heard that America could just increase tax a bit and within 10 years a lot of it would be gone.
0: I think that's true, but then we'd have to actually increase taxes. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of easy fixes for the deficit that are politically impossible. Um, the Biden administration, Trump uh, loves to say that he did this or, or his, you know, Trump put out an executive order that said Medicare should negotiate prices. That's of course not how it works. Like this is tremendously complex. And of course it being Trump, nothing else was done by the Trump administration. What Biden has done with laborious, um, painstaking, excessively painstaking approaches has allowed certain classes of certain drugs to be negotiated, but the prices of which to be negotiated between Medicare and the pharmaceutical companies.
1: Does this make them cheaper for the end user?
0: Dramatically cheaper. Oh, okay. Uh, well, the end user in this case would be Medicare, which is, I believe, the by far the largest purchaser of medical services in the United States. Well, just and,
1: quite often with America, it sounds like it should help, but it actually makes things worse.
0: And that's, that's a lot of the story of Obamacare, uh, which mm-hmm. we'll get to. But start, just talking about quick fixes for the deficit, Obviously, yeah, I would like to cut defense spending. That does not seem like where we're going. Uh, but simply allowing Medicare across the board, not in like, a okay, here's 20 medicines that we're going to do a pilot program on for the next eight years, which is kind of what Biden's doing. doing. Uh, though I think there was great successes from the Biden administration with insulin specifically, which is a huge... It's hard to argue with insulin, though. Yeah. Um, but uh, if we just did that across the board... Medicare's budget would shrink dramatically. Um, There, if we broke up a few hospitals uh, and actually reintroduced reintroduced real competition uh, into the medical markets, right, instead of just what we have now, which was you know massive monopolies uh, vacuuming up money, becoming some of the most profitable companies in human history, um, while U.S. life expectancy falls. Anyway, we don't we we don't we rant around about healthcare uh, enough. The point that I was making was that I used to believe that deficits, though, uh, in 2008 uh, through 2011, through the battles of the Obama administration. I was like, no, you've got look at that. Like we had a trillion dollar deficit. Uh, I didn't blame Obama for that trillion dollar deficit. I blamed Bush and the financial crisis that required that trillion dollar deficit. Um, and the deficit shrank throughout the Obama years. And at the end of the Obama's I was I was applauding him for that. I was like, Yeah, that's the right way to do things. Um, Paul Krugman is a New York Times uh a well, I think he's he's a very serious Nobel Prize winning economist, a uh, guy who worked for the New York Times, and he was sort of a lone voice in the wilderness uh in uh the early 2010s saying, We've got to spend more money. If we don't spend more money, the economy is never going to recover. And he was absolutely right. Uh and I wrote Thankfully, I wasn't on YouTube much at that point. I wrote nasty blog posts about him. I talked about what an idiot he was. Da da da. And he was in. Ent- Paul Krugman was entirely right. And the Obama administration did not spend enough money. We are shown this by the Trump administration. That instantly shot that even in a time of relative economic success, instantly shot back to trillion-dollar deficits. Uh, and then COVID happened, which was a year of a I think a two or three trillion-dollar deficit. Um, And the effects on the U.S. economy and the world economy have been nigh miraculous, frankly. Uh, They have not been uh, at all catastrophic. Um, So just like most right wing critiques of Obama are nonsense. Um, The parts that I thought were not nonsense, which is this deficit hawkery. That was my main complaint about Barack Obama when he was president. Is he spending too much money? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then come the Trump administration and COVID, and we find out that actually spending more money has given us a healthier U.S. economy than we have had in decades. I think uh, the, the incident was applied to that, but is it because of the hyperinflation people? In Italy? We are not experiencing hyperinflation. Inflation is dissipating, uh, like historically, magnificently quickly. It may not be quickly enough uh, for Biden to win in 2024, but uh, even compared to the 80s, this inflation isn't that bad. Yeah, it, it's not. I mean, it's been real. It's been a real problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's been, especially in a popular But it's state.
1: nowhere near hyperinflation. Oh, of course not.
0: Exactly. That, that, that's hyperbole that you only hear from uh, Bitcoin morons and uh, the, the rest of the people in right-wing media. But the dollar's media. not backed by anything. Uh, yes, there, there you are. There you are. Yes, of course. Of course. So anyway, these right-wing critiques are kind of nonsense to me. And what's interesting is now I'm finding myself looking at the obama administration as more of a missed opportunity if you consider that in 2008 he had 57 democratic senators and there were two independents one of whom was bernie sanders if you look at just those numbers um i think in the house in 2008 because the bush administration had been such a colossal failure he had 257 votes 257 democrats versus 178 uh, republicans that's not the supermajority, uh, which would be two hundred and ninety, uh which basically means if you have two hundred and ninety votes for a particular uh uh in a particular party, that party can do anything it wants. When was the last time a supermajority had been formed? That's a great question, Ray, that I cannot answer. I, I don't know.
1: But it's incredibly rare what Obama had. Yeah, well he didn't have a supermajority. That's unfortunate. Well, no, but out. he
0: was close. Yes, he, he was doing really well. I believe that um, the great depression uh i believe roosevelt had some pretty great majorities to work with for a while there um but uh but yeah this was an incredible opportunity and i i i lived in washington dc during this time period uh through most of the bush administration i was there in 2008 uh the night that he was elected i'm, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it i was there the weekend that he was inaugurated it uh, probably one of the best party weekends of my life, of my life, you know, like, and the excitement, not just among this, this, at this very liberal city, but throughout the country at just the change away from the nightmare that the Bush administration had plunged the country into the, the wars, the, 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 like the, it really, I, I used messianic earlier, like as kind of a joke, but no, I mean, it was that feel like he was going to save us. He was hope. Like, that, that iconic poster, that iconic hope poster. Like, it's, it became a sad joke um, and has maybe seen that way since. But, man, we, we believed it. I mean, I didn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is, well, you know, Republicans really know what's going on. It's just Bush that sucked. That's where I was. But I I went to the parties and I enjoyed them. I, but even I, who was, like, conditioned to be very anti-Obama, was like, well, thank God it's not Bush anymore and, like, you know, maybe we can get a change. But I had friends who just had no real connection to politics more generally, who came in from Michigan for the inauguration. Just really like a time of, seemed like incredible hope. Uh, the This incredible, I mean, look at what Biden has been able to accomplish with barely a one vote majority in the Senate. Is it Joey Manchin's keeps coming up? I think it was Joe Manchin was the most important figure in the last uh, uh, Senate. And I think he's got one more vote now. But now, Diane Feinstein is is in you know literally falling apart in front of everybody, and and in and, a situation
1: like that, are they just given lots of personal favors to make them agree to whatever the government is trying to pass, or what absolutely. way does the persuasion works?
0: Absolutely, Joe Manchin is tremendously significant. He lives in I've, a mansion now. Joe Manchin always lived in a mansion. My understanding <laughs> is that he might be something of a coal baron. I could be wrong about that, but he's. He's a West Virginia politician who is wrapped up in the uh, the, the energy uh, extraction industries. I believe, I don't know if this was the Inflation Reduction Act or some other piece, but I think he got a almost a private approval by act of Congress for a West Virginia pipeline in return for his vote, or something along those lines. Uh, and I don't recall the exact details. So, so yeah, Manchin remains tremendously influential uh, and and important. And, and frankly, I, I'm not big on the Joe Manchin hate because it's pretty miraculous to have a Democratic vote coming out of West Virginia uh, in this day and age. So, uh, I mean... Whatever way you can get it. You take what you can get. So that's the picture that uh, left-leaning or just people who want more money for normal people instead of rich people um, look at and say like, God, I I remember what this was like Uh, the night that he was elected. I remember there was a march Down 16th Street in Washington D.C. to surround the White House with people shouting "Our house, our house." I mean, I was—it was was incredibly exciting. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm just like falling into like a nostalgia for for youth um, uh, moment here. Uh, But it was so hopeful and so exciting, and not much came out of it. And that's the left wing critique that I think I find more compelling and more interesting uh to to analyze and think about what was the biggest thing he squandered in that period well those majorities uh for sure um but i
1: I... mean what was there anything there was being talked about that could have been getting passed that didn't or was it just not really in the air at
0: the time uh the public option for healthcare is a really really great one uh card check Yeah, I'm not too familiar with the intricacies of that, but I think that union folks are really, really into uh, card check, which was a certain legislation that would make it easier to unionize workplaces. Um, There was the prosecution of members of the Bush administration is something that I'm not sure how I feel about that still, one way or the other, but a a very, uh, not just left-wing critique, but even like liberal uh, sort of... um, yeah, I, I just a quick, uh, quick clarification. I, I, the, Oba- the critique of Obama I'm talking about today is left. The liberal uh, critique in the United States, liberal and left are seen as somehow synonymous, and they're very much not. Like liberal, I see, is certainly more socially progressive, but like fiscally conservative or, or, or what, what have you. Um, and I think even left and some sort of liberals... Um, as well, are like, gosh darn it, if only we'd prosecuted people in the Bush administration, maybe we'd have had a better time prosecuting Trump, or maybe Trump wouldn't have tried to be president. And I'm not sure I really believe that. I think people are a little confused by just how spectacularly, uncharacteristically um, clean the Obama administration was, as we're now learning uh, with the Biden administration. Like, administrations have scandals. Uh, That's, it's, it's, Corruption's gonna happen. And normally, children that do stupid things. Yes, children that do stupid things. But I would not be at all surprised uh, if, with the uh, we're only in year three of the Biden administration, and courts work very slow. Courts and cases work very slowly. So, if we do, which I hope, get uh, a year eight of the Biden administration, I assume it'll end the way that the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, the Reagan administration. Uh, what was the two-year uh, presidency before the Reagan? Ad- uh, oh, the Nixon administration. Yes, uh, the Nixon administration, the Johnson administration. Uh, the I don't recall if the Eisenhower administration had any massive scandals by year six, of, uh, but they probably did. Um, everybody since Eisenhower, with the exception of Obama, has spent the last year or two of their eight-year presidency mostly dealing with the corruption and nastiness of their so frankly, while I absolutely believe that uh people in the Bush administration belong in jail for what they did to Iraq and Syria, I do think that Obama's general principle of like, yeah, let's let's not start this the go down the road of prosecuting everybody, um is defensible, if not the right thing to do. Um so those are like the main the main big critiques. I think that that is twenty twenty hindsight. Uh, I think that that left-wing critique of Obama is compelling. I think it's interesting. But in part, I wanted to do this episode to argue against it. Not strongly, but but softly. I mean, this critique isn't ridiculous uh, and or proven wrong, like the majority of the uh, right-wing critiques of Obama. Uh, But it is, I feel like it, it betrays a lack of understanding of where we were as a country in 2008. No question, we were desperate for change. No question, we 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 wanted something new. But I think, certainly myself, uh, by the fact that you know I'm a relatively intelligent uh, politics follower guy, and I was uh, certainly less experienced version of that, uh, 2008 to 2016. But but I think I was still relatively in top it. And I fervently believed that he was spending too much money, and that what we needed was a more market focused approach to these things. And I I was a confirmed Reaganite. And you know what? Most Americans were at that point. I think that the number of Democratic senators that there were at that point is misleading, frankly. Uh, I think that what a Democratic senator believed back then, uh, I think probably, probably by uh, when I was uh, in the Bush administration and the Clinton administration, we still had things called blue dog Democrats who were Democrats who actually were strongly conservative, even pro-abortion, uh, as just sort of the the, the long holdovers of uh, the time before the 1960s where Democrat the Democrats were the Southern Segregation Party. Um, and I think some of them lasted even into the early Obama years. But generally speaking, your average Democratic senator was a lot more pro-business and a lot more pro-market than your average Democratic-leaning senator today. Honestly, than your average Republican senator today. You even got not many, but you've got some Republican senators today who are like, "Hey, wait a second. Maybe handing the entire economy over to a collection of technology companies and monopolized hospitals hasn't worked out so well." Um, so if you've got even this is a very different era, 15 years later, um, and I think it's important to remember that he had that 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 very slim. Major- not very slim. He had that large majority for all of two years. And then, even with the, the very minor things that he had tried to do in that two-year period, he lost it, and he never had control of... I Did Did he never have control of either House of Congress for the rest of the six so. years in power? I, I don't believe he did. And that's, I think, an indication of just how not ready we were. Now, we are ready for some transformative change. I think that Obama... You know, what a president is, is how they govern. And Barack Obama governed as a pro-business Reaganite. And he is now spending his, his post-presidency reaping the rewards. But do you think Obama wanted that much change? Well, see that that's exactly the question that I'm getting to. Like, I think that that's how he governed in from 2008 to 2016, because Obama is a politician. Joe Biden is famous as for being the the senator from Mastercard. Um, he's you know he he from Delaware, you know, always doing what business wants. Um, he's now actually probably the most left leaning. It's a very low bar, but the most left leaning president since 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 Nixon or Johnson at this in point in an American sense of yeah, the word. In an American sense, of the word exactly. Um, I think that the Obama that we would have gotten. In twenty, uh, in twenty twenty, would have been very different from the Obama that Obama was forced to be between two thousand eight and twenty sixteen. I think there is a palpable. Uh, I mean, some of the critiques of Obama that like maybe he was a little checked out in some ways, he was a little distant, he was a little as that. The other thing, I, I think it's frankly uh, considering what he and his family were subjected to by right and left wing media. Uh, in the United States, I think it's entirely possible that, you know, after the third or fourth year of his presidency, he was like, well, I'm going to try and do some nice things in foreign policy, which also came to nothing, as you know from our many, many Iran discussions. I'm going to try and do some nice things in foreign policy and just sort of have fun and, you know, position myself well to get paid afterwards, because that's all we asked of him, really, as the American people. I think it's very easy to sit here in 20. 23 and be like, oh, God, look at those almost 60 Democrats he had and this, that and the other. And it's just it's not I mean, we were even in 2023, we're not there yet. Even after we've had these really solid, pretty undeniable examples of the covid experience and the Trump administration and like their approach to fiscal policy, we've still got a ton of people in the Senate who are just like, OK, OK, now when when can we go back to just talking about the deficit the whole time? And, of course, not doing anything uh, about the deficit that would impact uh, corporations in any way. We're not going to take any of that easy, low-hanging fruit. We're going to figure out how to cut probates. Like, there's still Democrats. Like, um, uh, I do not demonize Joe Manchin that much. Again, it's a miracle. But uh, Kristen Sinema, you know, this is living in a state that's mostly a blue state. And her main concern is making the world safer for private equity people. Um, Kristen Sinema is kind of, uh, famous because she likes to put herself out there as the, the sort of swing voting for, but there are still plenty of Democrats in the Senate, uh, who are pretty in hoc to big business. Uh, but there are fewer, dramatically fewer than there were in 2008. And even the ones that are in hoc to big business are politically engaged people who have eyes and are thinking in different ways now. So do you think a lot of that's to do with COVID? I think a lot of it has to do with COVID, yes. Uh, and specifically the fiscal experience we've had that we've talked about before, just that like, the U.S. economy has been extraordinarily durable despite uh, the incredible COVID shocks, despite the inflationary. Uh, people keep buying stuff, but the U.S. economy rem- remains the wonder of the world I would argue, pretty clearly, because the government gave money to normal people. And I I, I am not the only person, by far, who has noticed this. I'm not the only person who has seen this. Uh, Paul Krugman was right uh, that the government in... We would have not had the the, the jobless recovery that we had during the Obama administration. We would not have had Donald Trump as president if the obama had been allowed to put a little more on his stimulus package had been allowed to spend a little bit more money instead what we got and this is what a lot of uh i think a lot of democrats legitimately want to do and a lot of republicans want to do because uh republican is president um what they want to do is what we did in the obama years which was very quickly shift to spending as little money as possible to deficit reduction and so before the economy had recovered we switched to deficit reduction, which meant that the government was putting less money in the economy, which meant that the economy had a more anemic and crappy recovery. Um, which gave us still Trump.
1: giving lots of money to
0: the big corporations? Oh, of course. Yes. Well that's always it's a market based solution. Markets, 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 markets. I think Obamacare is
1: worth talking about a little bit. Because it does seem like it has been a success despite its
0: failings. Well, I think it's, it's debatable. Uh, everybody's healthcare, who could pay for it in the United States got more expensive. And in some cases, really, like, ruinously more expensive. I think I've talked about I pay about $1,000 a month uh, for my health coverage, which will not pay for anything up to $15,000 that I have to pay every year. Um, that's a deductible. So uh, I pay for everything. But if I get hit by a bus, and that's why it's worth paying 12 grand a year, because if I get hit by a bus...
1: And you cycle in New York?
0: Yes. As I cycle in New York, if I'm hit by a bus, um, and uh, go to the hospital, provided it's the right hospital, uh, well, regardless, it, well, if it's the wrong hospital, I'll take a lawsuit, but then my coverage will be paid for it. Uh, but if it's the right hospital, it should be paid for. So that's 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 the the world that um, I live in, and that Obamacare dramatically influenced. Now, what people who I think some people, I think uh, Matt Stoller on Twitter, a guy who I both like and uh, dislike uh, his takes on things, um, often just talks about the expense. What's not appreciated, and I, I got a, a more full appreciation th- of by like. Reading through this book, which is basically just about uh, the process of Obamacare coming in,
1: America's bitter pill. Yes,
0: America's bitter pill by Stephen Brill. Um, it's funny; it's a book from 2015, and it's it's still rooted in the pre 2016 thinking. I think if I'd read this book in 2015, I would have completely agreed with it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but reading it after the 2016 election, after seeing like. You know, getting a better sense of the disaster uh, of much of U.S. life over the past forty years, I find it a bit a, a bit sillier. What people forget about Obamacare is that it did absolutely make massive changes. Yes, um, I think significantly more people got coverage, and that's great. But also, fundamentally, the nature of U.S. healthcare changed in a dramatic way, in two dramatic ways that I think people don't remember. Um, and that's why so this was a good thing that Obamacare did. So before Obamacare, you had this thing called pre existing conditions, where like if you were sick under a different employer and then you switched an employer and you um wait to get under their insurance company, you could be denied because you had an ongoing illness. Or would that include injuries that you got at the other job? I believe so. I, I don't have the minutiae of pre-existing, but but people could be denied health insurance because they were sick, because they had a chronic issue. They were they could be denied health insurance. Like that sounds insane, but that is the way things were in the United States before. I guess it was passed in two thousand nine, and and uh, um, came into full force in, in a number of years after that. But that's that's the world we lived in. Also, and this is extraordinary. You could be denied coverage because you had a maximum on your health insurance. So basically you could be undergoing cancer. You think you're fully insured. You think you've got a great insurance program. But they're like, sorry, you've made it past half a million dollars. So you got to pay for the rest of your chemo. Like that was just normal. That's just how insurance functioned. And Obamacare did change both of those massive uh, injustices. So like it's it's a it's a it, it was a step forward in that uh, now what we got to worry about is cost and what we have to worry about is deductibles. Uh, The out-of-network thing has become a much, much bigger thing. Insurance companies can't deny care for uh, pre-existing conditions, but they can just sort of say, because, like, I'm sorry, that doctor you want to go to or that doctor you went to or that ambulance company you went to isn't on our list. Not on our list, so we don't pay for it. Um, Which is, I think, uh, people who have insurance and the money for lawyers don't have to worry about that so much. But that's not the case with a lot of people. Um, and also deductibles. I have my 15000 I get to pay for my first $15,000 of health expenses. Uh, and uh, that is the case for a lot of people. And I think that that is absolutely something that needs to be addressed. But I think it's worth remembering that Obama tried to address that. There were people in the Obama administration who wanted a public option that would keep these health insurance companies a little more honest. Uh, And it was shouted down by people like me. Uh, People who were like, oh, no, no, that's too socialistic. That's this, that, and the other thing. Um, It's important not to blame Obamacare for the changes that Republicans have been forcing onto it. Uh, The whole point was that uh, one of the main cost-saving mechanisms of Obamacare was that everybody was going to be forced to buy health insurance. And my understanding is that the—so that would mean that all these healthy people who didn't bother with health insurance would be paying into the systems as well, so then it could be cheaper for everybody. Uh, What the Supreme Court under Roberts did, I uh, believe—I believe I'm remembering this correctly— is they basically took that out. There was no longer a mandate. Nobody had to buy health insurance. So healthy people went back to not buying health insurance and costs went up for everybody. That's only one of a number of uh shifts to Obamacare that have been created by Republicans working at multiple levels of government. Um, but fundamentally, Obamacare was a Reaganite solution. It was Romney care. Uh what the insurance companies were able to get because they own so many senators in return for the end of the pre-existing conditions thing, the end of the maximums. In return for that, they got this structure where like, the the goal isn't like Obama or the government is going to provide you healthcare. It's you have to give money to insurance companies. And all the healthy people have to give money to insurance companies too. Uh, that was a kind of crazy way to t- attempt to expand uh, health benefits. Um, but that was exactly the sort of thing that most Americans who thought about politics still believed was the only way to do things. It's it's Reaganism. It's, it's markets are best. Business knows best. Uh, yeah, sure, maybe there's been some externalities that businesses aren't handling well. Well, if we just channel the right amount of money to the right businesses, it'll work out okay. And to some small extent, you know, Obamacare is not a, a, a failure. Um, it's dealt with those issues I talked about. It has expanded coverage, but it has created nightmarishly profitable health insurance companies and hospitals. Like, like, like the, if you look like really only tech companies and hospitals and defense companies have been doing, uh, as well, you know, comparably well over the past, uh, over the past 15 years. Um, so yeah, Obamacare is not a crazy failure, but it's also not a staggering success in part because the U S public, or at least our representatives and the the intellectual classes around it just didn't want it because twenty two thousand eight was not twenty twenty three. Just wasn't.
1: Just wasn't. Also, I think one of your uh, personal gripes with Obama would be Libya.
0: Oh man, yeah. Uh, Obama's foreign policy was a was a travesty.
1: Is what happened with Obama? Does it prove uh, Vladimir Putin wrong? Because it seemed to be it's seen that you know America leads NATO, but. When it came to Libya, France and the UK seemed to, you know, want what happened happened and kind of pushed America to um, implement its amazing drones.
0: Well, it was a tra That was a terrible. Uh, I think I talked in the last podcast about how you know David Cameron and uh, Nicolas Sarkozy are some of the greatest betrayers in the United States. We talk about Benedict Arnold. Uh, you know, he's our the famous first American traitor or something like that. I, I think that. David Cameron and Nicolas Sarkozy should be seen as the first European traitors uh, for giving uh, that amount of uh, European freedom away, frankly. Because the destruction of Libya, along with the destruction of Syria, is what led to the refugee crisis that has kept the EU from accomplishing much of anything over the past decade. Uh, And that was, to some extent, uh, led by France and Britain. But I think, as we've discussed before, that's kind of blown out of proportion. That's not actually the case. uh the uh United States did almost all of the heavy lifting there and used i mean, in part, you can actually see i mean it's all part of u s empire. uh I think that uh Obama, it's funny. I like Obama, you know, like I think he's you know he, well, I think we all do
1: like, that's what's he's incredibly likable and charming exactly.
0: Um, so I'm, I'm leery of being too, in the domestic sphere, I think it is understandable what a disappointment he was. In the foreign policy sphere, I can come up with, and I'm about to engage in a bunch of excuses for why he was so horrible. But at the end of the day, the buck stops there with the president. He made these decisions. They would not have happened without him. Military industrial complex hasn't killed anybody since Kennedy. So, you know, he, he, you know, he wasn't forced to do this um i 'm not entirely sure the military industrial complex uh, killed kennedy, but i 'm not entirely certain they didn 't and I think every president thinks that to themselves as they make their decisions at the end of the day that
1: 's interesting. The idea that um they didn 't but they like the rumor that maybe we did
0: maybe they did and I think that 's I think part of obama 's behavior uh cause, wow, would that be an easy guy to put together a fake assassination of um Many, many willing folks who just needed to be, you know, given the right opportunity. Many willing racists don't know how much of Obama's thought process that was, uh, but it's interesting to speculate about. Uh, But no, Obama made the decision to destroy Syria. Obama made the decision to destroy Libya. What's interesting uh, in the Libya context to think about is the extent to which David Cameron and Nicolas Sarkozy, the heads of the United Kingdom and France at that point, were playing imperial politics as vassal states of the United States. Uh, it was in their interests to be able to demonstrate to other people in Europe, even, that they had worthwhile military technology to purchase. Um, so they were part of the lobbying put that convinced Barack Obama that if you wanted to do anything, you know, if you want to do the Iran thing, I think Barack Obama's wanting to do the Iran nuclear deal, which is a very good idea, an incredibly good deal for the United States, led him to make a lot of horrible decisions that he was being lobbied to make by the missile salesman that... To make it look like he was tough? Yeah. That populated his own administration, that populated the European governments, uh, certainly the French and British governments at the time. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, Obama is responsible for his own horrific foreign policy, and you can. Uh, There's plenty of content on uh, these various channels of me talking about uh, his horrific foreign policy. Uh, But uh, it's his domestic policy that I wanted to talk about today. And I think we've we've done a fairly good job of covering.
1: Well, I was going to say, what's the big standout that you appreciate about Obama? That
0: I appreciate about Obama? Um, I always thought the JCPOA was pretty great, the, the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, I was a huge fan of that. But now that I think about it, he invented these sanctions. Like, he's the guy we would never would have had as sweeping sanctions against Iran if you didn't have Obama's charisma behind it. He invented the sanctions that are currently starving Iran to death. And it was monstrous of Trump to bring them back. So, I don't know. I really love his Cuba policy. Uh, I think his Cuba policy is unimpeachable, was the right thing to do, and was reversed by Trump, uh, because Trump is dumb and uh, was almost inexplicably, I guess because perhaps Biden is dumb enough to think he can still win Florida, has not really been substantially reversed by Biden. Uh, and that makes me very sad. I guess
1: it's incredibly low on America's
0: agendas, sadly. Cuba is at the bottom of the U.S. agenda, which is striking. I just read a book on Cuba recently, and it just—it was all important to the United States. I think the biggest CIA office in, in the world was in Miami to focus on Cuban refugees. This is during the Cold Weren't War. were there,
1: like, American politicians sworn in in Cuba?
0: Uh, yes. Well, that's a 19th century thing. Uh, so, Oh, yes, but it still happened. No, of course, of course. The state that got away, Cuba. That's exactly... I think the state that got away is a very good description. Uh, but now it's... Yeah, it's not... The United States now looks further afield for its obsessions, um, which is perhaps a, a testament to uh, still growing uh, U.S. power and reach. So what do you think he could have done
1: now, just being able to spend the money that he should have on the poor.
0: What, do you think he's going to, I mean, I don't know. I'm I, i, I I'm not I'm not a big guy, I'm a big personal charity guy. Uh, I, I tend to believe that the government sh- I mean, I I approve of it, I think it's a nice thing to do, but I'll. I, it's kind of hard for me to tell uh, Obama to, uh, you know, he should give up his Netflix money to... Uh... Sorry if he was in president now, if we had done that um, Biden- swap well i think the i think he would be able to actually push through uh some sensible student debt relief um if he'd had a imagine if the resources and thought that went into obamacare because it is not an uncomplicated program like did like american healthcare
1: is just complications like just
0: reading this book you appreciate just how the incredible level of sophistication and effort that was put into it
1: and it's very expensive to push all that paper around
0: yes yeah Biden's student debt relief um, is a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Um, I think that absolutely what he had proposed should have been done. It would not have improved the situation. But I, I do think that education policy in the United States is something that could benefit from a, a Obamacare style effort. The U.S. healthcare care could have benefited. So like the resources, the intelligent people the, the, that was put in here. But they were put into trying to understand and reform the um, U.S. medical system when the United States wasn't ready for it. Like when, when every, it's just fascinating reading these discussions and how deferential everybody, uh, uh, the Republicans, of course, but also the Democrats in the Congress and the Democrats in the administration had to constantly be hand-holding and deferential to these uh, monstrous healthcare companies uh, that are now, uh, thanks to Obamacare, significantly more monstrous and monopolistic. Um, and I think that, I think that even if Obama had come in with the exact, what's so depressing, worry is that if he came in with the exact same agenda he came in with in 2008, reform healthcare, close Guantanamo, uh, uh, stop spending so much money on defense, end some wars. If he came in with exactly that agenda in 2020, most of the things would still be there, which means that he didn't actually solve any of the problems he intended to do is solve in two thousand eight, because it wasn't possible to solve that because the U.S. public and the U.S. political classes weren't ready for what we're ready for now. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of a shame, you know. Can can we repeal that amendment and get him running again? Uh, and <laughs> I mean, he's still what two decades younger than. Uh... Oh, I was surprised actually. He did like how old is Barack Obama?
1: A third term, and from Kenya, I think that's quite a push. Yeah, I mean, but he'd be sixty. Imagine how mad he's only sixty-two years old. Like now, like imagine that's a whippersnapper that. for uh, American politics.
0: Yeah, you know, because it was only after FDR that we uh, that we stopped letting uh, folks uh, serve uh, more than two terms. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think that uh, Obama is what. Obama's legacy is what.
1: Do you think he still has the charisma and popularity to win another election? Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, it, the thing is, it'd be easy. Like he, you know, he'd have to do another thing that would make all us progressive criminal justice people like uh, uh, outraged. But you know, he'd like propose like a nasty policy about the homeless or something like that, and like every, er, not every, but you know, enough Trump racists would get back and get back in line behind him. Um, you know, it, it's like, it wouldn't be that hard, but it's illegal. And I don't actually, I, I think it is a very good thing that we only have two terms for American presidents, especially Well, they usually because, don't
1: seem to last that long, according to you.
0: Well, yeah. And that's a, that's a virtue of our system. Unfortunately, like I, I think, yeah, now would be the worst time, I think. Cause we, I think we are at a point, I'm not like some catastrophist or what have you, uh, like, oh, American democracy is dying. But uh, we are at a fragile point, uh, for American democracy. And I think- uh, he, uh, as fun as it is to fantasize about a third Obama term uh when the country's actually ready for uh, some some real change some real open change uh would have uh, would be bad I, I think I can say that confidently. I think it's good that people only have certain outings uh I just wish there was another uh another politician with his charisma and
1: uh so there's none you could see coming through in the next 10 years? There are ones
0: you can imagine, but there's structural reasons. Unfortunately, both Trump and Biden have control of the the relative app, apparatus or something. I mean, I like Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. I like uh, uh, Gavin Newsom in California. I'm not saying I love these people. I'm saying like they seem like relatively savvy, relatively correct, charismatic people. Uh, there are plenty of people on the Republican bench uh, who have that too. I'm now so so fully transitioned away from Republican politics that I, I just don't really feel like uh, talking about it right now. But uh, but those people exist on the Republican side too. It's just that Trump and Biden have such a stranglehold.
1: And nobody's going to be
0: nobody's going to be the first black president again, though. You know, and that's uh, that's a true. Uh, maybe I mean that Gretchen Whitmer is kind of interesting in that she's the first female president, and like maybe that would. Um, have some of the, frankly, have some of the upsides of the first black president without with fewer of the many, 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 downsides, but also more sexism is a real and bad thing. So
1: yes, definitely.
0: Anyway, we've given Obama an hour, and uh, I think uh, I unless think
1: we, he's on the show, uh, we'll not give him another hour.
0: That's true. Yeah, Barack Obama's got to come on, <laughs> come on, and uh, he'll be Defender's our first. Record. That'd be a good get, right? That'd be for our first interview. It's Barack hard Obama. to beat. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty solid. <laughs> Uh, I find it unlikely, right? But hey, I don't who knows. think we have enough money. Yeah, maybe he'll, he'll hear this and, and just be inspired by what a couple of the bearded white men have to say about his legacy. Sure, he's super psyched about that. Well, that was
1: what he spent most of his legacy or most of his time worrying about. That's true. That's true yeah the, the, the bearded white man. that's uh, that's it's uh, a good point it's a good point Ray. well it's been great to have you and we'll hope you join us next time on the More Freedom Foundation podcast huzzah the More Freedom Foundation is also available on YouTube and TikTok Rob's Twitter is Rob Olaw and he's also written a book called Avoiding the British Empire what it was and how the US can do better And music provided by Kevin MacLeod.